Open up your Bibles to James, the first chapter. And um, even though last week I said it's a different message, we really have been teaching on secrets to success, even though I've titled them different. So you may see if you go online uh, the name, but also in front of it, the word secret to success, because we talked about that and uh, different things that are a secret to success. So in James 1, we're going to talk about a different thing. And uh, I've been a student, I guess you would say, of the Bible for a number of years, and I've been fairly diligent to study and look at scriptures and see different things in the scriptures over the years. Meaning this, there are things that I've seen recently that I didn't see years ago. And I've read the verses hundreds of times. And um, this is kind of one of those things where there was more light and as I was reading and preparing and getting this, I was like, wow, James, the first chapter, really is a book in that first chapter. He's talking about seeds. Well, I had seen parts of it before, but he's talking about seeds. And so we're going to talk about seeds this morning, but what seeds look like, what they are, what to do with them. And, uh, you know, we all know seeds produce something. Would you agree with me? I mean, if they're planted, a good seed or a bad seed, they will automatically start to produce something if they're left, right? One thing that I learned when I moved here from California was that as soon as it rains, there's already seeds all over the ground you don't know about, and all of a sudden your yard goes, hi you know, there's rocks and you think, well, nothing's going to grow here. It's the desert. I didn't realize how well things grew in the desert. And uh, so James, we're going to talk about this, about seeds and how that there are seeds that are really, everybody deals with them and they'll be for your failure or for your success. And uh, James, the first chapter, and I'm going to read in the 13th verse, and uh, then I'm going to read, but I'm going to read it in the NIV, which I normally don't. It says this in verse 13. Ready? When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. When one is tempted, or when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. That's huge. When we're tempted, we shouldn't say God is tempting me. And I know that, that this, to me, seems so fundamental. But there are a lot of people who think, is God behind this temptation that I'm going through right now? And God is not trying to tempt you. God will test you. But that's different than tempting you. You say, what do you mean? He tested people or proved people in the Old Testament and in the Bible. Uh, for example, he tested Abraham and he tested his obedience. He asked him, will you do this? And Abraham did it. God was testing his heart toward him. That's different than tempting you with evil. 
because the temptation of evil is to move you away from God and the things of God. When we're tested, God is actually proving us or showing us where we're at. In other words, if God deals with me, give or do this or pray or something, he's asking me, but it shows me where I'm at. It's a test. You with me? And you can read scriptures in the Old Testament where people were tested to see where they're at. As a matter of fact, King David one time said, test me, try me, ask me anything, see what's in me. In other words, you ask me anything and I'll prove where I am with you by how I respond. That is different than being tempted. And he said, test my heart and see. You'll see that I'm an obedient person, that I do love you. Uh, when we obey, we show and we are, when, when God deals with us, it's like a test at times. You're going to do what I ask and when you do it, you're showing your love to God. You with me? And we can all make the choice because love toward God is just a choice. You with me? And so here it says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Well, we're talking about us though. But he said, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anybody with evil. God and evil are not working as companions. God is not making people sick so he can heal them. God is not tempting people to fall in sin so he can deliver them and have a great story of deliverance. He's not doing that. God cannot be tempted. Verse 17 says this. God cannot be tempted because he doesn't allow evil desire in himself. And so when it says in verse 17, every good gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The NIV says, the New King James says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. In other words, those are the things that come from God, are good things, perfect things. And it says there is no shadow of changing with God. He does not turn. He doesn't change from that way. So good things come from God. So in other words, if you connect verse 13 and verse 17, you could see why we should say, never say, when we're tempted, God's tempting me. Why? Because only good things come from God. And so if you're facing a temptation, know this. If good comes from God, good would help you in a temptation. Would you not agree? Good would help you in every situation of life when bad is there. So if God is not causing bad and God is not um, putting bad on you and it's not coming when you're tempted, then the question comes, like it says here, when you're tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. In other words, God's not struggling with sin and temptation, nor does he tempt anyone. 
So if it's not coming from God, it's important to know your adversary or the source of a situation. Would you agree? I mean, if you're on a road trip and all of a sudden the water light comes on, you know you got a water leak probably somewhere or your car's overheating. But if it is a water leak, you want to find the source of it so you can get it fixed or plugged or whatever so you can put more water on in there and travel on down the road. Well, if, if God's not tempting me, where is this coming from? If later on we read only good comes from God. Somebody said, oh, it's the devil. Well, the devil may be there, but he doesn't always have as much power as people give him credit for. And so sometimes, and, and even James tells us to resist, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. But there are some other things that we have to do. Notice verse 14, and I'm going to read this in the NIV also. But each one is tempted. So if God's not tempting, where is the temptation coming from? Verse 14 says, but each one or each person, not one person should say it's God, but each person is tempted because of this. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire... People can have desires that are not good, and you can be a Christian. They're not of your spiritual new life that you have in Christ, but you live in a world that if you feed your mind, and just because you live here, thoughts can come to you, you have to recognize you got to be careful of some thoughts, because some thoughts are not good. They produce desires. And those desires have a dragging effect, have a pulling effect. And so he said here, but each one is tempted of his own evil desire and is dragged away. And notice this phrase, and enticed. I believe that enticing there could be the enemy. And it would be this way. People know, and, and this I know does not cover everybody in here. Um, hey, you're, there's a single person. I'm saved. I know I'm not supposed to be with unsaved people. But, and we start reasoning. Uh, they're good looking. They're moral. They're pretty good. It will work out. And you start entertaining. What does that do? It produces a desire. Is it a right desire? No. And if it's not, it's evil. Somebody said, well, that's not too bad. We should identify things the way the Bible does. That's evil. But if you're not careful, you get this pull and you go, that's wrong. I know I shouldn't be doing that, but now I've got a desire because I keep entertaining it. And if I keep entertaining it, he said, you'll get enticed. You'll get enticed. Some people why, wonder why good people fall into sin. 
It's not because they're evil per se, but they start entertaining things they shouldn't. You know, they got delivered from alcohol, but they keep entertaining and they, the, the thought comes to them. And so when they go into the liquor store, they walk by all the beer selection and uh, they look at all of them and they're like, I used to be addicted, but I'm free. Oh, I remember this. And they start entertaining it. Then it starts pulling. It has a dragging effect. You with me? I'm convinced of this concerning these scriptures here about developing desires that are improper is that there are things that God deals with individuals about that are different one from another that we shouldn't do. Like in our day and age, we're not like Samson in the sense where God's saying, don't cut your hair. But that was unique to him compared to others. And when he did cut his hair, he was done for. He had lost his strength. Then he had to let it grow back. Well, there are some things that I believe God can deal with you about that are distinct to you that are not distinct to others. There are some people who can go out and golf and they golf and it's no big deal and they maintain their walk with God and it's great. And there's other people, they barely start golfing. And I know people like this. They're like, man, God keeps dealing with me not to do it, to give it up. I'm like, you should give it up. You know why? God knows how you work and what this will do to you. And, uh, you know, somebody else that could be watching a certain sport. Yeah, but everybody else is watching it. Yeah, but if you know, don't. Be careful and not just be careful because that's the wrong thing. If you know, don't, don't. Don't go, okay, I'll be careful and watch. No, God knows that if you entertain that the way you are toward it, it may produce such a strong desire, it will have a dragging effect. Well, where is this dragging? It's dragging people away from God, away from the things of God to a different life and a different lifestyle. And where does this dragging come from? From the devil? No. As a matter of fact, the devil couldn't entice you if you didn't have the desire. And you can have desires built in or cultivated in you that you would think, why do I desire this? I remember hearing a story about a movie star who has loads of money, but they just liked shoplifting and they got arrested for it. It makes no sense. But there was an evil desire that had been cultivated and they followed it and it dragged them to a place of doing wrong. You with me? And so how does this work? How does this happen? Notice this. But each one is tempted when by his own desire, evil desire it says, he is dragged away. It starts pulling those desires so you need to recognize what desires you have. Are they good? Are they right? Are they bad? And recognize it's better to deal with desires that are not right before they start an action. But you notice it started pulling, dragging away, then they got enticed. Notice this, then after desire has conceived. That's a huge statement it gives birth to sin. Well, in this context then, evil desires that are produced through thoughts are seeds. 
And if they're left in you, they'll conceive. They'll start, you know, when something is conceived in a woman, a baby starts to grow. We were all that, unless there's a test tube child in here, then we'll have to talk to you and change this message later. But if everybody was born through a woman, uh, which is a normal thing, which is virtually 100%, seeds got in there, there was a conception, and something started growing. And if left, it would produce life. The life would come into the earth, we'd see and we'd all rejoice. But notice this. It doesn't say that here. It says, then after desire has conceived, it grows, it gives birth to sin. Why is it sin? Because what was conceived was evil, was a wrong seed. You know, there were groups of people in the church over the years, in the church world, that they wouldn't allow TVs in people's homes. They called it television. You know, the antennas, when they had antennas, those are like the devil's horns. You don't want that, you can't have that. Don't go to the movie, that's where all the sinners go. Well, I don't think that that's totally right, but for sure it's totally not all wrong. Because the TV can be a good tool. You could watch something wholesome. But there's a ton of junk in there that can feed you stuff that can produce and feed evil desires. I mean, if I have a desire for certain wrong stuff, I can feed it just by watching the wrong things on TV. It becomes a real easy channel to get it in. Or the same thing would be true with the Internet right? Or your phone, whatever the avenue. And what that does is it starts feeding the desire. The evil desire. Evil desires do not produce good stuff later. Notice this. Then after the desire has conceived, but remember it was called evil desire. It gives birth to sin. What does sin mean? Means miss the mark. And sin, the action of it, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Death is the absence of the life of God. It is something of the fall of man. It is something that can be measured in various different ways. But no matter how you slice it like Snickers... It comes up sin. Somebody says, well, that's peanuts. Yeah, but you get the idea, right? No matter how you slice it, it produces something not good. But if you notice the terms here, he talks about uh, these desires. He calls them things that can be conceived, something that can grow, something that will come forth in birth. So it's, he's talking about seeds here. Seeds. And he's saying that desires are a seed. Desires get formed out of different thought patterns. Now, you can have good desires or you can have bad desires. You can have desires that are neutral. But here he's talking about bad ones. What's he trying to do? He's, this is the only letter in the New Testament written from a pastor 
James to the church. All the others were written from apostles that traveled. Here this guy is helping the people in the church when they're tempted. What do we do? We're tempted. Well, how do I live? What's my problem? Why am I always tempted? Do I always have to be tempted? No. You could be tempted with something right now real strong, and you could do what we're going to talk about here, and you don't have to be. Because if you don't have an evil desire, you can't be enticed. Or you don't have a certain desire or way, you can't be pushed in that area. I mean, there are just some things in this room that you could put $1,000 right there on the, the, plat, the edge of the platform and leave, and some people might be tempted to take it, and others would be like, whatever. Why? What's the difference from one to another? The desires that have been cultivated and ways of thought that have been cultivated in that person that have not been put in check, and all of a sudden, here it is. Or a situation is pushing them that would try to drive them there. You with me? So, is everybody okay this morning? Well, notice, if every good gift comes from God, and every perfect gift is from Him, let's read verse 17. I'm going to read it in the, in the NIV. So, he's talking about when we're tempted, it's because of bad desires that are internal in us. Well, what do we do with those? He's actually giving the cure here for temptation and how to overcome temptation and live free from certain things. There's some people who deal with lust year after year after year, and there's other people who get victory over lust. But why is it? Because they deal with an internal desire, a thought pattern. And, and anybody can overcome any temptation. You with me? All right. Verse, trying to see where I want to go. Verse 17, I'm going to read this from the NIV. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Notice verse 18. He chose to give us birth. Notice the birth of sin. But now he's going to talk about Christians having what the Bible calls the new birth. A recreation of the human spirit. Getting eternal life, the life of God. Coming into a personal relationship with God through Christ. He said he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Notice that phrase. He chose to give new birth through the word of truth. Well, why are we called to be a witness and tell our friends Tell our neighbors and invite them so they can hear. Why? Because through those seeds of truth, 
just like the seed of a wrong desire can produce something, God chose because he's good and he's perfect and only good comes from him that he would give seeds. He would give a message that we could take and give to other people after we've received it is the context, but really you could give it without receiving it yourself. In other words, you could take and throw seeds in the ground and not eat the seed yourself. But he's saying here, God only gives good, and as a matter of fact, he's not producing the death. What he did was he gave the seed of truth, the message of the gospel, and by it, through those seeds, it says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Now, Peter says it this way in 123 of 1 Peter 123. In the Bible, it says, you were born again of an incorruptible seed. The word of God that lives and abides forever. So we're talking about seeds and we're talking about success. And somebody said, well, we've only talked about failure so far and about getting saved. Well, he didn't finish. So you're going to have to come back next week to hear the rest. No, I'm going to keep reading. But he called it through the seed of the truth, he called us fruit. In other words, we grew, we got saved, we got new life. The truth prevailed in us. We received Christ and we changed, meaning we got new life. Well, if God chose to do that, well, that's great. I got new life. But what about these evil desires? Well, notice the evil desire is called a seed. And he uses terms about giving birth and so on. Then he talks about what we call salvation or the new birth. And he talks about the seeds of truth. But he didn't leave the thought there. Evil thoughts, evil desires produce evil stuff. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, in Genesis before the flood, it said that the people's desires and thought were continually evil, and therefore they practiced evil on the earth. You want to change what you practice? It's not that hard, meaning you can do it if you'll apply yourself. James 1.21, in the King James, it says, Therefore lay aside all overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness. Notice this phrase, the implanted word, the implanted word, the implanted word. Desires are implanted in us. And if they're left there and focused upon, they'll grow. The gospel was implanted. You heard it. You received Christ or you can. And then you got born again and were made new. And now you're, a, uh, like God said, your fruit from the dead through this truth. Now he's talking about how that the word can be implanted in you after new birth and it can begin to produce something. Well, how is it implanted? It's the same way. Notice this. He said, receive the word with meekness. Meekness literally means don't argue against the truth. In a simple form. When the truth comes, learn not to argue with what God's saying. Receive it with meekness. Humbly accept the planted word, which can save you or bring 
wholeness to your whole life. Notice verse 22. I'm going to read it again in the NIV. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. So now he's saying you got to hear the word, but if all you do is only hear the truth, you are self-deceived. Can you be saved and be deceived? Yeah. One translation reads it like this, self-deluded. How could you be deluded as a Christian? You know, have you ever been to like a, a store where they, or a place where they have those soda fountain things where you serve yourself or whatever, or, or, and you go get it and you go back and you sit at your table and you're thinking Pepsi because you wouldn't think, yeah, Coke, right? Pepsi, it's going to be good. And you take a drink and you're like, ooh, this is wrong. And you're like, there's something missing. It, it's diluted. And how many of you go, well, I'm just going to drink this anyway? Most of us would, right? Because we just don't want to cause a rift. And we just, I'll just drink it. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to go back and get more, just like that. No, you would question, why is this diluted? I can't have this. I paid for something. Something else belongs to me than this, right? And if we don't at least, maybe we wouldn't say something to them about that, but we may go dump it and try the root beer, because we wouldn't try Sprite, because nobody likes Sprite, right? So you tried the root beer, and you'd go, okay, this is not diluted. Nobody's saying amen. You'd think somebody likes Sprite or something, but the fact is, is you expect it to not be diluted. But if we live our Christian life, and all we're ever doing is hearing the word, but we're not doing the next part, we're deluded. We're not getting the full of what it's supposed to be. And he called it being deceived. Notice, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Notice it didn't see, say you're going to deceive others. He said, do what it says. Now he's going to tell you how to do it, and actually he's going to start talking again in terms about like the seed, the word being a seed, and he's going to basically teach us in a different way than what was already been taught with wrong desires. You guys with me? Notice this verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, and he's going to tell you what it's like and to tell you to give you the cure. Is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. <clears throat> so what's he telling us? He's saying reading the Bible can be a lot like looking at your own face in a mirror. It says, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He said, reading the Bible and not doing it is like looking in the mirror, seeing what you truly are. Have you ever looked in the Bible and it said you were something? Then you left and went, no, I'm not. But he said, yes, you are. He tells you the cure right here. 
he said he forgets what he looks like. Now here's the cure. But whoever looks intently into the, and he calls the Bible, the perfect law that gives freedom in any area and continues in it. How does he continue? You can't continue reading the Bible while you're driving to work. I mean, I've done it before when I lived in California. When I first got saved, I remember having my little New Testament, driving down the freeway, reading a little bit, and then putting it back, and then read a little bit more. I had a friend drive by me and said, dude, were you reading when you were driving? I was like, yeah, doesn't everybody? And uh, no, I didn't say that. I said, well, maybe I was. I was. But that's not, I'm not teaching that this morning. I'm not, I'm not recommending that. But when you get up from when you're reading and you have to do other things, there is a part to play. He said, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it and is not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. What is he saying? He said there's some people who get in the Bible and hear it, but when they leave, they don't think like it. And they won't be blessed in what they do. In other words, you could read the Bible and go, I'm clean. The Lord has forgiven me. The Bible said his sacrifice covered all my sins. And you get up and you leave from the Bible and you feel pretty good about yourself. You're like, praise the Lord, no more condemnation. But if you forget and the enemy goes, yeah, but you know how you've done all that? And you start looking at all you did. You're not remembering what he did. You have done exactly what he said. You looked at how you were. Then you forgot how you were. And now you're looking at something else. And now that is going to begin to produce in your life guilt and condemnation that doesn't belong. And that will produce death. So he's giving the cure. You know what the cure is? Like, the Bible said in Colossians 3, if you've been raised with Christ, set your mind, now I skipped part of it, but he said, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Many people fail in the word because they fail to see the word as so in their life. They want to see it that way outwardly before they see it that way themselves and keep their mind on the answer. Meaning, can you see, can you be humble enough to lower yourself? And if the Lord said, you're loved, that you would keep your mind there, even when accusations would come and say, you're not loved. Where's that coming from? So if I'm going to do this, I got to keep my mind on the answer. And eventually, I'll get stronger. You know, this will work for somebody's temper, too. If the Word of God says that you have a new life, new nature in Christ, and love is in you and in your spirit, but you always see yourself as an angry person, and I just go off the handle, you will produce that death in your life. But if you will start to look at yourself through the eyes of, that God has for you because you're made new, you keep your attention on the answer and go, you know what? He said, I have love in me. 
I'm just dealing with the wrong desire right now. And you know, the more you resist that wrong desire, the weaker it's going to get. And the less tempted you are going to be to blow your fuse. Thank you for this excitement. He just told us the answer to life. I don't know about you, but I have not purposely been shopping, but I've been to Costco a couple times during this marvelous holiday cheer time. And I'm serious, I have seen some pretty ridiculous stuff. Like, I'm like, wow, joy to the world. The Lord has come, but he ain't being shared here, you know, and I'm thinking this is supposed to be a joyous time. And everybody is like over the top. Why is that? It's because their thinking is wrong. They're focusing on something that's inappropriate. And what it's doing, it's allowing them to act out in ways that are not helpful for them or, or the people around them. You with me? God wants... For you, the eternal life that's in you to flow through you. This is how it works. Is everybody okay this morning? And you should never condemn yourself, but realize this. Like he said here, if you'll continually look, when you close the book, see yourself the way God says you are, and it's not bad in case you're wondering, your life will change. You'll start giving birth, or in other words, producing in your life wonderful things. And it can happen. I said, it can happen. I said, it can happen. Some people aren't sure. It can happen. You know, some people can be bound with certain things. I've met people who are bound with depression for years. And to tell them you could be free is almost like a fairy tale to them. It's almost like you're lying. Somebody else is bound by depression and somebody else by lust or something else. And you tell them you could be free. You could be free from drugs. You could be free from this. You could, and they're like, no. They don't realize if they're in the Lord, they've got the answer. And there is a way not to... Uh, you know, kind of push it down enough to survive, you know, so I can start living, but literally win to where you might be pushing it down at first, but eventually I'm free from this. I have cultivated new seeds and those seeds are bringing forth stuff in me. If we're called more than conquerors, God wants you to win. He does. You with me? He wants you to win. And, and if there's anything that people should realize, there's hope uh, for peace in your life. There's hope for health in your life. There's hope for victory in your life. Hope is a dream of something that can be. But I don't know about you. One thing about all this seed stuff here is it seems like there is a process of germination, development, and birth. 
and you might be giving forth birth to depression, you can plant new seeds and eventually, you know, start starving the ones that are there. And in time, come to the place where you're producing peace, God's peace in your life. Real, for real. But you're going to have to read and learn to be disciplined to keep your mind on the answer.